Good morning, everyone. So our reading this morning is Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Uh, You can find that on page 1782 of the Bibles on your seats, uh, or you can follow along on the screen beside me here. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. Well, thanks very much, Lockie, and uh, hello again. Um, I think that might be our record for the shortest Bible reading uh, we've had here at Tonsley, and uh, thank you, Lockie, for reading it so well. It's full of uh, very uh, rich things for us to consider this morning. Uh, But where to start is uh, with a question... Uh, that when there's a threat to our safety or when we have to deal with a conflict situation, uh, what are the general classic responses that people take? Uh, You probably know the the three Fs. Uh, You either fight, take flight, or you freeze. Um, Now, which which way do you lean on that? Now, when there's a uh, conflict or there's a a threat to your safety, which way do you kind of go? Do you tend to hit back uh, out of reflex, um, perhaps even get the preemptive strike in uh, before they can get you first? Uh, Do you fight? Uh, are you more of the flee uh, type? Do you run away, just, just get it, as soon as there's a sign of conflict, as soon as there's a tension, just get out of there? Or do you perhaps uh, tend to freeze? Uh, when there's, there's tension in the air, you're just not sure what to do, you kind of just seize up, unable to function properly, just hoping uh, things will kind of pass quickly. I thought we'd just do a quick show of hands, just, you know, let's uh, see where people sit on this one. Uh, where do, you, do we have people who tend towards more fight in the conflict kind of... There we go, those hands go up straight away, fantastic. Uh, who, who tends to flee? There's a few. Okay, good. Uh, who tends to freeze? Okay. I'm assuming the freezers um, who didn't put up their hands, that I was gonna be, there's a few more of you out there, and perhaps some are sort of physically frozen as well this morning. Um, it's good to be aware of our own reactions in conflict, isn't it? Um, because often we actually have to work deliberately against our natural inclinations. Uh, if, you, if you're a freezer or you're a fighter uh, and you're at the beach, you see a shark... Don't fight it. Don't stay where you are. Get away. Flee. We have to sometimes work against our natural inclinations, don't we? For Christians, it's good for us to be really aware of our likely response if we feel targeted uh, or if we're feeling threatened or opposed. Um, For all Christians around the Western world, it's not like we're facing high levels of persecution, is it? Um, But of course, the loudest voices, uh, the vast majority of anything you see on the media... Uh, It's not just negative about Christianity, it's so often outright hostile, uh, it's dismissive and and just rude, actually, a lot of the time. Uh, Of course, we know there's there's great pressure in many workplaces, uh, in universities and our youth at schools uh, do face many struggles to, uh, to, what does it mean to uh, to stand firm uh, when you're being asked to conform to ideologies that go against our convictions of, of people who follow Jesus and trust in his word? So what does the church do uh, in an environment like this one that's so different um, from what it was 20 years, even 10 years ago? Uh, If that tide of hostility keeps rising, should we fight? Is that our response? 
Um, I've heard plenty of Christians uh, wanting to engage in combat, basically, uh, to take the fight out to the world. Don't let them push us around. We should demand our rights. Let's fight back. Uh, I've heard plenty of Christians wanting to take flight as well. Just get out of there. Retreat from the public space. It's creating too much tension for us. Maybe we just, just have a safe space here on a Sunday morning and kind of go kind of undercover, stealth mode as Christians. I don't think I hear much from those who are arguing we should freeze, um, uh, you know, just wait and see what happens, I suppose. But my guess is that's probably where most of us lean, actually, on this one. Um, we don't really want to fight a war with the world around us. It doesn't seem like a good idea. And we don't nearly really want to disappear either. It doesn't seem a good option. My hunch is, uh, it feels like this uh, for me and for many in our circles, that we're just tentative and unsure about the way forward. Just, just a bit worried. Uh, and rather than do too much, we're kind of just a bit inactive, not sure what to do. How do, how do we live in a culture uh, that regards Christians so differently to the culture that our parents grew up in? Uh, I think a lot of us are just waiting for the current cultural moment to just pass uh, and that it might be better in the future. Now, even if the reality is far better than that... Um, uh, after all, most Aussies actually are very positive about Christianity, or at least indifferent to it. But nonetheless, when it feels like the world is against us, what do we do? Well, we could read a book, actually. Uh, that's my first suggestion this morning. Uh, there is a brilliant book I highly recommend, uh, a guy called Stephen McAlpine. Uh, he's got a picture of the cover on the screen for us. Uh, Being the Bad Guys. Um, I was hoping to finish this book this week. Uh, it, it's a fantastic book. The, the tagline, you probably can't read there, is How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't. It's brilliantly insightful. It's very encouraging and really, really helpful for us as we navigate our world. Uh, in a couple of weeks here, we'll have a bookstore. It's one of the books I'm keen to have available for us to buy uh, here on a Sunday morning. The reason I love this book is that the author really loves the gospel. Uh, he knows that the gospel really is good news for our world and we shouldn't hide it away. We shouldn't flee from the world. It's also good that we shouldn't lose gospel focus if we're ploughing into some kind of cultural war. Uh, we need to be very clear on the gospel and very uh, sure of what we are on about before we kind of jump as an impulse and fight. It's almost as if this author, Stephen McAlpine, has been reading Philippians, actually, uh, because we've seen the same thing with the Apostle Paul so far. We saw last week how Paul is so committed to the gospel going out in our world that he just finds incredible joy. Uh, he's even in chains, actually, uh, locked up, facing real opposition, uh, possibly facing death. He's not about fighting or fleeing or freezing. Paul is about celebration. Even locked up, he's about celebration because he himself has been so changed by the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus. It's changed him so much that he just so desperately wants others to hear it, no matter what. He just wants them to experience the, having their lives changed by the good news of Jesus. In these uh, few short verses we're looking at today, Paul's writing to Christians in Philippi uh, who, who are facing, who were, sorry, who were facing uh, very acute and intense opposition. Uh, it's far more than we could imagine, I suspect. What Paul does in this section uh, is he gives them, and also us, really clear guidance, far better than fighting or fleeing or freezing, uh, about what we do. Uh, so let's jump in. Uh, we start at verse 27, and Paul has this wonderful phrase, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's the answer, actually. <laughs> That's it in a nutshell. Uh, opposition or not, whatever happens, make sure our lives are worthy of the gospel. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. Uh, that'd be pretty, pretty good if it was, wasn't it? Uh, very short, very simple. Now, the challenge, of course, is what does that mean? 
That might be the answer, but what does it mean? What does that look like? How do we live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Uh, We're basically spending three weeks on that question, actually. Uh, Today, in the next couple of weeks, and probably the rest of Philippians, really, uh, Paul fleshes out what this looks like for us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, whatever it looks like, and whatever else Paul will say about it, it's very ambitious, isn't it? Very ambitious. If we have a sense of how valuable, of how precious the gospel is, we know a life worthy of it will be remarkable. So imagine for a moment, uh, imagine someone that's grown up in a slum. Uh, Their whole life has just been uh, experiencing only the worst kind of poverty all around them. But then one day, everything changes. Uh, One day, they're out begging, as they often do, just trying to scrap together a living to eat that day, and they meet a stranger. Uh, This stranger doesn't just give them spare change. Uh, This stranger, and this is a ridiculous story, but bear with me, this stranger gives the beggar access to hundreds of billions of dollars. Ridiculous amount. Stranger tells uh, this poor person, this money, it's yours. Do what you want with it. No strings attached. The question is, what kind of life does this person live from there? And what kind of life should they live from there? Would they uh, never touch a cent? Uh, Return to their normal way of living back to poverty? Of course not. They've been given everything. Perhaps uh, they'd keep it all for themselves, just uh, get out of there, flee, live their best life, comfort, luxury, everything they want, all theirs. Or to live a life worthy of the gift they've been given. Yes, they would get uh, the, the fine enjoyment of not being in poverty themselves, but of course, they would share the bulk of that money, wouldn't they, with those they've grown up with? They would do what they could to invest in their impoverished community, build schools, hospitals, whatever it is. Giving back and encouraging others and sharing what they've been given, that would be a life worthy of that generous gift, wouldn't it? Now, the gospel, uh, the good news of Christ, is that exact story. Uh, We have each been plucked out of spiritual poverty, out of a life of desperate meaninglessness, uh, without hope, Strangers from God, he's reached out to us, plucked us out, very surprisingly, and in Jesus, he has made us rich, spiritually, beyond measure, filthy rich. For those who believe the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is our saviour, as we trust in him for our forgiveness, as we believe that Jesus is our Lord, our King, and we repent of living our own way and trust in his way, when we do that, we are given everything. We are rich, peace with God. Uh, the favour of God who hears our prayers, who answers our prayers. We have hope for eternity, we have purpose, we have meaning, so many, so many riches and so many things that we can give back to those living in poverty around us. It wouldn't make sense, would it, uh, for us to have access to all these blessings, all these great things and to not live any differently, to never touch a cent, so to speak, of the riches we have and just going back to our old lives in the slum, it doesn't make sense. And it wouldn't make sense to have our life changed by God's amazing generosity to us and to not want to be generous to others with that same good news that we've heard. The gospel, it's so precious, it's it's so wonderful that it only makes sense if our whole lives try and take a gospel shape. Now, we're going to be thinking a lot more about that shape, what it looks like, and especially next week, we're going to come uh, and really pick that up. But I just want to say something today, I think something quite obvious, really. A life that's worthy of the gospel will look different. It will look different, remarkably different from lives that are not captured by the gospel. Christians will look different. I say that uh, 
pointing out the obvious, perhaps, because it means we shouldn't expect, and perhaps we can't, we couldn't even if we wanted to, we can't hide. We can't actually go undercover as a Christian. Our lives will look very different. And if it comes to it, if we had to fight for some reason, we would do it in a remarkable way, full of grace and compassion, in a way that no one else around us fights. If we're seeking to live lives worthy of the gospel, we are going to stand out, kind of like a, you know, someone with billions of dollars in a slum would stand out. Now, I realise, not a perfect analogy, uh, all problems with analogies, uh, but I think it is similar enough in some ways because, well, what we have to splash around, it is good for everyone in our community, even if they don't like it, even if they don't realise it. Now, Paul does have plenty of things to say about a life worthy of the gospel, uh, the first thing he says here is it's not so much about our lives as individuals. That's not his first focus. Paul's focus is first on the church and how we live lives together and how the Philippians conduct themselves as a church. In the face of opposition, as a church, do they fight, do they flee, do they freeze? Well, it's better than that, isn't it? If we're conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, Paul says we will stand firm. I know it sounds a lot like freezing, standing firm, freezing, sounds similar, doesn't it? But you think about it, freezing is actually usually involuntary uh, when there's conflict or something like that. The idea of standing firm is much more deliberate, much more conscious, remain unmoved. Standing firm is courageous, uh, not being pushed around, uh, not changing to fit in. Now, it's very clear, as I said, these uh, Philippians are facing real opposition, uh, we're not told what's happening, we're not told why, uh, but you see in verse 28, if you have your Bibles open in front of you, you see in verse 28, there are people opposing them. Uh, I just want to read verse 29 again, this will be on the screen, I think, for us. Uh, verse 29, as Paul says to the Philippians, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. As Paul goes on in verse 30, he says, uh, They're going through the same kind of struggle you saw I had. Whatever opposition they have, it's not mild. Uh, they're really suffering because of this opposition. Uh, in fact, as Paul uh, is referring to a struggle he had, it could be that he is referring to the time he visited Philippi uh, for that first time. If you're taking notes, you can look this up later and read the story of Paul visiting the Philippians for the first time in Acts 16, Acts chapter 16. You can read all about it there. I actually mentioned it last week that Paul ended up in prison there. It wasn't a great trip at one level, uh, because before that, before prison, when Paul first got there, um, after a while, he was attacked by a mob, severely beaten with rods and flogged. Uh, a pretty brutal experience. I'm sure that sort of sticks with you, actually, uh, as you go through life. I reckon as well, if you're one of the people in Philippi that day who witnessed Paul getting beaten and whipped and thrown in jail, I reckon that would stick with you as well, wouldn't it? You've just heard this guy share the gospel with you, and now you're seeing him uh, beaten, whipped and put in jail. That'd make a real impact, I think. And Paul's saying something astounding here in verse 29, isn't he? Yes, we're given the gift of believing in Jesus. What a wonderful gift. We like that one. And we're given the gift of suffering for him. Suffering is a gift? It's odd, isn't it? I mean, we have to acknowledge most Australians, I think ourselves would be caught up in this uh, so often, most Australians make a huge effort to avoid suffering at all costs. I reckon for a lot of people, that's the whole point of life, avoid suffering. Now, this is a topic for another day. Uh, there's much more to say, but it seems to me, that seems to be because in secular thinking, uh, suffering is unfortunate and also pointless. It never seems to have good purpose and no good comes of suffering in itself. However, 
as Christians, we worship Messiah who suffered an agonizing death to save the world. We'll explore this more another time, I'm sure, but at very least, that tells us suffering isn't always meaningless. It's not always a bad thing to avoid either. In fact, God can use suffering to bring out our great glory to himself and salvation to the world. Here at least, the thing I want to say today, Paul reminds us it's, it's going to happen. Just like the Philippians, if we are living a life worthy of the gospel, we will stand out like sore thumbs and we will face opposition to some degree. When that happens, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, we don't need to wonder whether God has forgotten us or we'd, maybe we've done something wrong. Now, maybe we have done something wrong. There's countless times throughout history that the church has done terrible things and uh, rightly have been criticised and uh, there's been hostile uh, take on that. But it's not like just a good PR campaign will fix this. It might help. But no amount of good public relations can make the gospel less offensive to our world. Because the gospel announces that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus gets to call the shots of what is good and what is evil. Uh, That Jesus gets to challenge my heart and my desires and say they're not actually neutral. He can call some good and some bad and in need of repentance. It's not a popular notion. It never has been. But the gospel is so valuable, it's so precious, that when opposition comes, we're not going to change the gospel, not to fit in. We don't wonder whether God has forgotten us. We stand firm in the gospel. We stand firm, thankful that Jesus is our Saviour, and thankful that He's our Lord and in charge of all things, including the opposition and suffering we might face. I know this is easier to say than to do in these times, but in those moments, we especially trust, trust Jesus when He says He loves His church and He's going to build His church no matter what. Now, many of you, like me, will have heard the arguments uh, that perhaps we in Australia should be praying for more persecution, more opposition uh, to the church. Uh, The argument being that if we pray for more opposition, uh, we might find great opportunities to grow and for the gospel to flourish. Now, that argument comes um, uh, because of history, actually. All through history, we see so many times where as Christians have been uh, relentlessly persecuted, uh, the gospel seems to flourish. Uh, Faith really grows, and the gospel has changed countless lives because of persecution in the midst of it. I'm not sure I'm that brave to pray that prayer myself often. But as we pray, uh, like we all would be if we are committed to this, we pray that the gospel does flourish, it does go out. I've been reminded by this passage that we should pray, whatever happens, that we would stand firm as a church. As the gospel goes out, we need to keep standing firm. Now, the key to this uh, is not just being brave, not just being stoic as individuals. The key to standing firm is doing it together. And this is uh, point three on your outline. The gospel is so valuable that we should stay totally united. Um, Unity is not actually something we have to forge out or create as Christians. Uh, Unity is not something we have to make happen. Uh, Unity is something we already have. Unity is something we already have. It's a great gift of the gospel that we are united with each other in Christ. By His Spirit, God gathers people like us uh, to be one, uh, to be gathered together, united in a local church. And belonging to a local church is an expression of the unity we already have with God's people. Paul here in this this little section, he's linking these two things together. Uh, To stand firm, we have to protect and cling to the unity we already have. We need to express it really intentionally, that unity, and to be, look out on, be on the lookout for threats to, what, um, to threats to our unity. 
So have a look with uh, verse 27 and 28, how Paul describes what unity looks like. Uh, Standing firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Now, this is a beautiful description of a church, isn't it? That's that's what we're aiming for as a church, really. Uh, There's four parts to this. I think got that on the screen there. Uh, Four parts. Uh, Standing firm in one spirit. Start there. That is, we're united. We are united in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Every one of us, uh, every believer is empowered by the Holy Spirit to live for Jesus. And the Holy Spirit encourages uh, encourages us together. He convicts us of our sin together. And He grows us together. One major way we can express our unity in the Spirit Uh, is by praying for each other in that spirit, through the spirit. Uh, Because by the spirit, we're inviting God to help our brothers and sisters around us. Now, as a side note, I'm not sure how that's going as a church. It's hard to know, isn't it, how well we pray for each other. Um, I know that happens in our growth groups week by week. I'm sure, I'm I'm, I'm very sure that people are praying for one another in our church throughout throughout our days. But perhaps this is one way uh, that you could respond to God's word this morning. To reflect on how you're expressing your unity in the Spirit. Are you praying for others here in your church? And if you are, how could you grow in that? What's a step you could take to help you grow in the way we pray for one another? Well, another aspect of our unity is striving together. Striving together. Now, that, that describes a church in action, doesn't it? Striving, where everyone is doing their part, everyone is contributing, helping, serving, encouraging, praying. And I have to say how encouraged I continue to be as, uh, as a pastor here at Tonsley, because there are so many ways I see this striving together playing out every single week. Uh, for example, I know in growth groups, uh, it's the middle of winter now, isn't it? Uh, after a big day, so many people are making that effort. They're striving, uh, really, that's an appropriate word often, uh, striving to get to growth groups, to think carefully together about the gospel and how it matters in our life, encouraging each other to keep going, uh, striving in prayer together, uh, and just striving in life to honour Jesus. Alongside that, I, have, I know I have a privilege, uh, far more than most here, just knowing the many ways, uh, many, uh, many ways that people are working, striving behind the scenes to, to love and care for each other, taking initiative, uh, doing things to, to build others up in Christ. So, to stand firm in one spirit, striving together, the next part of unity is being as one. Being as one, point three there. More literally, Paul says here, of one soul. That's kind of literal phrase he is, of one soul. I think the idea here is that our hearts and our minds are all set on the same thing. Uh, being united in the things we care about, the things we long for, as a church means, we're not going to get distracted by silly arguments. Uh, we're not going to have different factions or groups undercutting each other or competing with each other. Many of you will have had experiences like that in, in sports clubs or uh, in schools, workplaces, uh, perhaps even in churches, where toxic politics becomes normal. When there's competition for different goals, uh, different egos or different priorities, just cause division and undercut unity. The thing that's going to help us avoid that uh, is remembering that we actually already are united in Christ. We're united in the gospel. Our job is to keep showing grace Uh, the same grace God has shown us, and keep striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's the fourth part of our unity, perhaps the biggest part here. What we're striving for, what we're united in, is the faith of the gospel. That's our goal. Working together for... um, That's the goal of our unity, that the gospel goes forward. 
I reckon this is a great picture of a church that Paul is painting for us, one that's not fleeing from opposition, but going on mission. Being united, working together, standing firm, doing each what we can to spread the gospel. Uh, just so you know, and up to date on this one, uh, in the last couple of months, uh, we've set up a mission team here at Tonsley. Uh, it's, a, it's a small group, and you'll hear more about them and from them in coming months. Uh, the mission team has the task of, uh, of helping us strive together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, we're only just starting out as a team, but we will be working on providing tools and opportunities and encouragement for each of us. Um, the team's going to be thinking through strategies and opportunities, all that sort of thing. So for now, please do pray for the mission team. And as I said, you'll hear more about them in the coming months, about how we want to spend our energy as God's people uh, to, uh, to reach people with the gospel. Today, though, uh, just aside from strategies and programs, all that sort of thing, one thing that stands out from this passage is the way that Paul is expecting them to do all this, to be on gospel mission, verse 28, he's expecting them to be uh, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Being on mission without being frightened in any way. Now, is Paul mad? Not being frightened in any way? Like, Paul's own biography is basically uh, him getting beaten to death half a dozen times. He's uh, been in prison more times than he cares to count. He's been stoned to death almost for spreading the gospel. Not being frightened in any way? Is this just kind of wishful thinking? And to answer that, I want to take us on a slight historical detour. Uh, we'll get back to the fearful, uh, not being fearful in any way. Uh, slight historical detail. I've got a picture here of someone uh, that you probably won't recognise, some of you might. Any history buffs out here know who that is. The man without a nose. This is Philip II of Macedon, or Macedonia. Um, this is a much later Roman statue of him, but anyway. Um, he's famous uh, for a few things. He's most famous for being someone's dad. Anyone know who his son is? Alexander the Great. Thank you. Uh, Philip II, his son is Alexander the Great. Now, uh, Alexander the Great gets lots of, uh, lots of uh, praise, you know, being the great. He went on to conquer the world. But it's actually Philip, his dad, who set everything up for Alexander. Uh, Philip was a brilliant warrior, a tactical genius. Uh, he revolutionised the ways the armies fought. Alexander just basically built on his dad's work. Um, he just took what his dad had done and uh, used it to keep winning and winning and winning in battle. Now, Philip's genius was to organise his army in uh, something that became famous uh, all around the, the ancient world, uh, the phalanx. There's a picture of well, a diagram, I suppose. Um, it's a tight-packed formation, highly trained soldiers, where everyone has to work together as one unit. Every shield, every spear needs to be in the right spot so that there are no weak spots. Striving, united in the same direction... There's no room for ego, there's no room for you know, factions in a phalanx, so you have to work together, united. And, of course, the Macedonians had no fear because they were unstoppable, they held firm. Standing firm, fearless, all the opposition the ancient world could muster just crumbled before the Macedonians. Now, you'll see where I'm heading this, right? Uh, but especially, you'll see where I'm heading this, you remember some key trivia we learned about Philippi a few weeks ago? Paul is writing to the Philippians in Philippi, which was named after... Philip II. Philippi was mostly settled as well, just a piece of trivia that's helpful here, uh, settled by retired Roman soldiers, people who were well-schooled in the arts of fighting. As Paul talks about being united, striving together, they know exactly what it is to stand firm, striving together as one. They have this in the backgrounds of their minds. Now, of course, the great problem with this illustration is it makes it sound like I'm saying we should go to war. That's not at all what I'm saying. That's not the point. 
The point I want to make here is we really need to be there for each other. If someone is missing in a phalanx, there's, there's great vulnerability. If a shield is missing next to you, you're exposed to arrows, to spears, all that stuff. If someone is missing from the body of church, we miss them. We need them. As we've been encouraging our new people coming through Belong, we just want to encourage everyone to keep making time, keep prioritising time with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Keep prioritising time for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just remember that some of them are copping arrows through the week. You might actually not know them. You might not know many people here at church, but it's very encouraging for us to all be here together. You might not know that just, uh, just saying hi to someone as they walk in and, and singing loudly near them uh, is a great encouragement after a hard week. Maybe those of you who do know, just praying with them after the service over coffee is a great way to keep building up one another, helping us strive together with great unity. Because it's a precious thing to belong to a church, even an imperfect church like this one, full of people with faults and issues and problems. It's a precious thing to belong, to be able to stand firm together, to do this together, being united in Christ together. It's not just precious, it's actually essential to belong to a church well if we're facing opposition for our faith. We really need to keep treasuring the time we have with each other, expressing that unity we have in Christ. It's how we'll stand firm and it's how we'll live a life worthy of the gospel. And perhaps uh, we'll take encouragement knowing that the gospel is going forward as we keep doing this. We won't feel the need to be frightened. After all, uh, when you're in a church where you're loved no matter what, and you're accepted no matter what, we perhaps don't need to fear losing approval of those around us. We're already loved and accepted. Alongside that, in a world that is so spiritually poverty-stricken, where divisions and distrust are everywhere, no one feels actually loved or accepted, our unity... Our love for one another is a sign for the world around us that there is salvation. As much as some people in our culture want to see the end of Christianity, and it's probably far less people than we sometimes think, even the most hostile towards Christians, when they encounter Christians, standing firm, united, striving together for the faith of the gospel, unafraid, amazingly, Paul says in verse 28, that's actually a sign to them that they need salvation too. Point four in your outline, the gospel is so valuable because it means salvation. When God's people are standing firm, when they're staying united, uh, showing the great grace that God has shown us, when we extend that grace even to those opposing us, Paul says in verse 28, this is a sign to them they will be destroyed, but that you'll be saved and by God. This is not about us feeling superior or taking joy at all that others are heading to destruction. It's the opposite. It seems that Paul, who was once himself so hostile to Christians, he now realises he doesn't want their destruction, uh, people like, him, like he used to be. He wants those opposing the church to read the signs, to change course before it's too late, to look at the evidence, to see people with real joy, real hope, not fear, not anger, see a church full of peace and kindness and love, and to change course, to repent, and to join us in bowing the knee before Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is so precious to us because it's the sweet news of our own salvation, isn't it? And with God's help, as we seek to live a life together worthy of the gospel of Christ, as we seek to stand together, striving as one, we hope and we pray that God will give us the privilege of seeing many more receive that salvation themselves. 
Would you join me as we turn to God in prayer? Lord God, we praise you for your grace to us, for the way that you've plucked us out from spiritual poverty, making us whole, and making us spiritually rich in every way. Please help each one of us know and just delight in all the blessings you so freely, graciously give us. And so then please help us as your people to live lives worthy of this gospel. Help us to stand firm, to stay united, to strive together for the gospel without fear. We ask you to protect our hearts and our faith in a world that does oppose Jesus. But also please help us be a sign to many that they too can find salvation in your Son. Please help us here at Tonsley. Uh, Please help us reach many with the good news of the gospel. Pray that many might be saved for your glory. Please help us, we pray. Amen.